Hi everyone, and welcome to the Adventures of OT podcast. Thank you for being a part of this community. I'd like to send a big thank you to everyone who is listening. It means so much to me. Thank you to those who've subscribed and to those sharing on their social media platforms. If you haven't, please do hit the subscribe or follow button. You can also follow us on our social media at The Adventures of OT on Instagram and on Facebook. Lastly, I'd like to thank all of you who share your opinions as well as your views either through DMs or private messaging. I'm so excited that we are in season two and this wouldn't have been possible without you guys, the listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for providing your feedback within season one. So season two takes a bit of a turn and we look at, you know, some occupational therapists and occupational therapy students who are doing some great things and we just want to, you know, shine the light on them. So do come with me on this journey as we discover and uncover um, as well as learn about these occupational therapists and students who are doing phenomenal work. So my guest today is an occupational therapist all the way from Utenegh. She graduated as an occupational therapist from the Stellenbosch University in 2018. She is an individual who embraces being a Kosa female as she ca- and she carries her crown on her head daily, and this is in the form of her natural hair. Her motto is to take up space, and she is certainly doing that by informing, influencing, and inspiring us in order to make an impact. She not only has a blog, she also has a YouTube channel and an Instagram page titled Doing, Being, and Becoming where she shares about matters relating to mental health and all things relating to occupational therapy. She's also a founder of 21 Daughters and Sons of the King, where she works to harness young people's skills. Help me welcome Asisi Potsotsa. Hi, Asi. Hi, Kanya. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was beautiful. Whoever you're talking about there, yeah, I know. I'd love to meet her. She's great. Yes, certainly. So, you know, like what I noticed with the content that you produce. So, firstly, when I found out that, you know, you have a YouTube channel, I went straight on and I went to go binge watch some of your (laughs) episodes. And um, there was one that really made me laugh. And I remember I asked you about it where you said, um, you eat peanut butter with stew. Oh, Tell me okay. about that combination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this peanut butter story. I recently, I think it was two days ago, actually, I received <laughs> more flag from people on Facebook for eating peanut butter, and that was with pizza. Ah, uh, guys, you know, peanut butter, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's a love for me. It's close to an obsession. It's beautiful. Like, it's a staple food. It's a necessity. It's as important as water to me. And just as you put water with everything, I put my peanut butter with everything. It just takes everything to the next level. So, Look, I I love peanut butter, but (laughs) I think you've just upped me on that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the thing. You know, you need to be able to, well, as an OT, you know, our whole thing is about challenging people's potential so that's me like i'm always challenging peanut butter and be like what can you do today and every time you never disappoints <laughs> i yeah i'm certainly going to try some of your peanut butter recipes <laughs> mm-hmm. let me know how it goes I'd love yeah, to know. i need somebody in my corner definitely yo. <laughs> So speaking about obsession, you know, um, I realized that with with your content, um, you're always seeking to, you know, leave us with motivational quotes. Um, not only do you sing in between, you know, your YouTube videos, which I love, um, but you also leave us with great motivational quotes and phrases, um, which you drop obviously on your blogs um, as well as on the YouTube channel. And why is it, would you say, it's important for you to leave someone 
with like a powerful verse or a powerful quote um, within your your media platforms? Oh. I think it's important because we always need like that extra push, you know, because life is tricky. Life is so tricky. And also you don't know at what point your content will meet a person, you know. Um, it could be just like the final push that they need before they make a big decision. It could be, they could be in a position of self-doubt. Um, they could be contemplating, you know, major decisions. And just ruminating on your words could be, you know, what they need to be able to make the next step, you know. And also it's, uh, it, it's just things that flow out of me that fill me. I'm always looking for encouragement, something to motivate me, always meditating on the word, you know. So that's what they say, that whatever you put in is what you're going to get out. So because that's always the content that I'm filling myself with, that's the only thing that can come out. Yeah. So do you like sit down and plan what you're going to write about and what you're going to post on your YouTube as well as on your Instagram page? Or is it something um, that, you know, comes to you naturally? Um, I, well, it's a bit of both, actually. Um, most of it is planning. It's beautiful. I love, I love how my creative process works. I don't actually have to think too much about like the topics, you know, I'll just be going about my day or reading something or watching something else. And then an idea comes and then I have to, you know, write it down. That's why I always have my notepad near me, but that's not difficult because it's on my phone anyway. <laughs> so wherever like a line sticks out or I get inspiration, then I write that um, down from conversations as well. Conversations are, a great place that I get inspiration for what content to put out. And then obviously once I have the core idea, um, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of um, thinking about that myself, meditating on that myself, putting things together. And then once, you know, like an idea is fully formed, then I put it out there in the form of whether it's a blog, um, an Instagram post or a video. Um, and also when that content is out, get, goes out as well, it's also planned. But the inspiration behind it, like the seed itself, I just allow life and nature to take its course with that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you define yourself, you describe yourself to be a writer. And I, I, mm. I clearly see that in your blogs because... I went and I read some of them and I was like, I could never write like this. You know, the way you use your words. Um, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so um, in one of your blogs, you described that, um, you know, occupational therapy was almost like it was a metamorphosis. Like, you know, the transition as though it was as if it's a metamorphosis. Can you maybe describe to us what, um, the changes that you experienced while, while you were in, you know, the, the occupational therapy degree whilst you were studying and then mm. obviously then becoming an occupational therapist? Mm. Well, I think most occupational therapy students will tell you that once they actually got into the degree, they didn't not know, either they didn't know what it was about or they didn't know what it fully entailed. So for me, before studying OT, I didn't know an occupational therapist except for the ones that I shadowed just to complete my application. So um, I didn't know what it was. I had no experience of occupational therapy. So just exposure to that um, on its own was an eye opener for me. And then first year was more like a BA student. So that was fun. That was more like transitioning from you know, home to university. And then only in second year do you actually like start to understand what occupational therapy is, what it entails, how broad it is, how effective it can actually be and how necessary it is in, you know, all communities actually. And then going into third year and fourth year where you do your practicals, you really get to see and experience the full effect of it with the patients that you encounter. And obviously, because you are spending more and more time as a practicing therapist, 
um, as you're also transitioning to ComServe and, and all the rest of the year through practice, um, all that exposure sharpens your skill as a therapist. And also it, it changes how you see life because occupational therapists and the lenses that the degree provides us allows us to see life in a different way altogether. So every single day, you know, through the content of OT and the theory that I encounter and also the patients that I encounter, every single day there's a chemical reaction that leaves me changed. Mm -hmm. So what is that change that you're speaking about? What is it that once you've had that encounter Mm -hmm. with an individual, you know, you feel like, Mm -hmm. oh my word, this person has had such a great impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, well, for me, like OT has really taught me to respect people, to respect where people come from, um, because yeah, we are as diverse as seven million people, and in counting can 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 be. You know, there's to respect people, to respect diversity, to be patient. Ah, oh, every single day. That is something that I'm learning because I've also recently learned that I'm not as patient as I thought I was, but every single day I'm being forced to be patient because, you know, you're working with people and people aren't going to um, just do what you want them to do or work um, according to the pace that you want them to work. So you have to be patient with people. You have to be humble. You know, you have to, yeah, you, you, you have to be able to collaborate with people, you know? So that process, and always having to humble yourself, always having to, which, like, have to be um, positive, you know, for so sometimes your patient can't be in a positive space because of the situation that they're in, and you have to be that light for them, you know, which isn't a complaint for me. Um, but I think one of the, the, the main things that in ways the main ways in which it has changed me is by being patient, understanding and respecting people, and also just constantly practicing humility and gratitude. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And, um, you know, keeping to the metamorphosis, um, Mm -hmm. you know, topic, how has the transition been then from, you know, being a university student, then you were in Comsur for a year, and now, you know, you are in your first work, year of work. How, how has that been? I mean, your second year. Yeah. If you your second year. Uh, if you, yeah, second year of work. Mm-hmm. Um, huh, it's, been, it's, been, it's, been, it's been quite challenging. It's been quite challenging, I'm not going to lie. Uh, mainly because adulting is not a joke. <laughs> yeah, adulting is not a joke. <laughs> um. But yeah, as a, a professional, for, okay, for, so firstly, what I actually realized about myself a while ago was that I don't actually, um, I'm not, well, when, when changes happen, I kind of just like go with the flow and then I only realize in retrospect, but whoa, that was like a major change. Like that, mm. that was some huge adapting you did there, you know? So yeah, especially from, um, high school to, to varsity. Like, I, I, I didn't give myself the enough time. Not that I didn't give myself enough time, but it's just that there was such a huge transition that was happening, but I wasn't aware that I was actually adapting so much. It's only after the fact that, like, while I was in second or third year, that I realized that, like, wow, actually, like, a lot changed, but I kind of just went into that gracefully, you know? which isn't really the same that I can say for <laughs> the, the, the adapting that I had to do in the past couple of years. I'm not going to lie, like, um, from concert to this year, you know, the transition was, was quite tough. It really was tough, you know? And I think it's only, like, even now that I'm, you know, kind of, like, settling into things and be like, okay, so this is where you are in life. This is um, how things are at this moment um embrace it okay you know so yeah it's been tough um but what i'm really grateful for though you know i'm really grateful for what university um brought me and gave me and that was the friends that it had given me 
I'm really grateful for the caliber of friends that I was able to choose and keep from university. And also just the person that I became, you know, through that. So um, I think one of the greatest things that made the whole transition, like through the different phases, easier for me was that from even like in high school, I was already set on like who I was, what I wanted to do, you know, what I will tolerate and what I won't tolerate. So that made the whole experience, especially varsity, made the whole experience um, easier for me, you know? So the things that were in my control, I kept those things in my control and I controlled them well, you know? So I had less to yeah. fumble with. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we always hear the saying that adulting is tough. Yo, Gunzima. Oh. Yo. But what is it exactly that makes adulting so difficult or that has made the transition from, um, you know, working uh, as a comm server now having to work and be independent? Because essentially that's what you need to be now. I mean, mm. your parents can't always, you know, be there um, paying for you and... Mm. All of that. So how, how, what is it that makes it so difficult or that makes this transition difficult? Mm. Firstly, I, I just need to um, give a shout out, a young shout out to <laughs> my parents for even when these hot adults change, they allow me to be the baby sometimes, you know, so yeah. I, feel I really, really need that sometimes. So, so shout out to them. Um, what makes it difficult what makes it difficult is paying tax. What makes it difficult is having to pay for insurance. <laughs> what's <laughs> difficult is paying for medical aid. <laughs> yeah, what's difficult is adulting during a pandemic. That is difficult. That right there mm-hmm. is difficult. Uh, finances, man. For me, the greatest difficulty in life are finances. Like having to decide on investments, which investment to go with, you know, your, those things like expenses of, you know, cars and living expenses, water, like deciding if you want a pet, family planning. Wow, it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot to deal with. Um, and, you know, you actually don't realize how much adulting requires of you because mm-hmm. you know you see how your parents are handling things and yeah it looks so from the outside and then when you're there it's like oh my goodness i did not know exactly. that this is what the topic is all about exactly yo i was saying um the other day i was just like yo i don't think because i mean you know our, our parents go about their work so so gracefully you know and it seems like they, they're not putting in much effort and it's just happening on its own and they've got everything under control and for me just waking up five days a week to go to the same place like wow obviously when you get there you're like yes i'm great to be i love being here you know i'm being effective i love my job but getting out of bed wow people don't give that enough credit like getting out of bed guys is a mission yeah. wow yeah because I mean, but anyway. velocity, it's easy for you to just be like, oh, you know, yes. I'll miss today's Yes, um, you're like, oh, it's raining. Oh, I'll catch up. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you won't catch up. <laughs> yeah. They're waiting for you. They are waiting. Yo, wow. So you're currently working in a mental health um, facility. So how did mm-hmm. you decide that you wanted to work there? Was it because, you know, there was a lack of posts? So you had mm. to, that was your last option? Or was it because it's something that you genuinely, you know, want to be a part of? Mm-hmm. Um, well, mental health um, is something that I've always been passionate about. I've always loved working in mental health. For me, my end goal for OT was, was, was always working in either mental health or in forensics. Um, and my clinical partners know this because I always mentioned it. I was like, I'm just getting through this physical block so that when I practice, I can be in mental health. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then how it actually happened was not in my control. Um, So I know like not all provinces in South Africa do this, but in the Eastern Cape, we are fortunate that after um, ComServe, you, they, 
place you again, like the Department of Health places you again into a post-commissive placement. So um, I didn't apply for <laughs> the post that I'm in. I applied for other places, obviously, like I think three or five other places. And none of those places were, were where I am now. But somehow I ended up here and I was like, okay, it's not where I wanted, but it's what I wanted. So mm -hmm. now it's in that situation where like, I know that nothing just happens for a reason and everything works together, you know, for the good of those who love God. So I was like, okay, 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 okay. What do I do? What do I do? But then I was like, okay, let me just go. Let me just try it out. Let me see how it is. And yeah, so I'm here now. And yeah, I think also um, I could have had the, the decision to, or to move, you know, because someone could ask that. But then also what's kept me here is being able to see how, because I'm very passionate about like Ibai and Itinaka and like, you know, servicing my, my home. But what I noticed yeah. is that like a lot of the people that are here where I'm working are actually like the majority of them come from home. So I was like, what how look at that look at that so i may not be at home but i'm certainly helping home out you know so yeah that's that's what's kept me here yeah certainly and the clients that you deal with would you say that they're more tosa speaking mm -hmm. and then how um, do you how do you you know communicate um effectively with clients in in their home languages Mm-hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> Luckily for me, I am multilingual. <laughs> yes. Yes. So um yeah, so so most of, of the clients there are um either closer speaking, most of them are actually closer speaking, and then some guys speak English and, and Afrikaans. So according to whatever language the patient is comfortable with, then I'm able to reach and communicate with them mm -hmm. so um you've also worked with like a number of clients since mm. like we're going to count in university up until mm. today um what is it that you know you've what is it that you've learned from working with clients um what are those lessons that you take from working with clients mm. um well you know, so, some lessons you think about them, like, you know, in your bed before you go to, you know, before you sleep. And then, you know, like once you're reflecting on the day and then sometimes like, you know, clients will come straight to you and then they'll just start giving you lessons. Yeah, those are the best. Those are the best. Those yeah. are my favorite. Um, so I actually remember one, one that sticks out to me was when uh, it was a... a a male patient last year and he came in for stress management and depression and so we do all the OT things but you know in the end like he was just like chatting and just the end of the day so I'm like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna chat like it's fine and then he was just like telling me about how it's important to take care of my parents and to be grateful for my parents and that you know one day they won't be here so I'm sure there are a lot of sacrifices that my parents have made for me to be where I am today. So I always need to remember my parents and whatever I do. And I was just sitting there. And then for a moment, I switched from being a therapist. And then I was just like, you know, like a little girl. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like my, my heart left so full. I'm like, okay, thank, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, definitely those, those moments where clients change from being clients and start um, being parents, I really appreciate that. Those, those mm. were most of the lessons from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes as much as we do communicate with, our, with, with the clients, you know, um, you tend to overlook all the things that they're saying because you're having a busy day. But definitely. I think it was so for you to just, you know, take that moment and listen mm. to a client because sometimes mm. that's all they want just to converse yes um, the, the the therapy ses sessions that you're having with them definitely and actually um that same patient like i because obviously you know like ot there has to be an activity otherwise it's not ot that's how they taught us 
So mm -hmm. we go through, um, you know, the, the whole session and then he gives me this um, small TED talk and I'm like, okay. And then, so I, I leave him with um, an activity. So it's like, okay, cool. We, we could either do this now or you can do it like at home. And then it's like, no, it's fine. Like, I just needed to talk. I feel much better now. So it's okay. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's fine, you know? And I think it, it just goes back to like the original principle of always being client-centered. Be mindful. Like when you enter the session, yes, you come in with your, um, especially if it's follow-up session, you come in with your um, plan and what you're going to work on. But be mindful. Like in that moment, yes, um, the, the patient came to you and, and they attended the session, but like you don't know. There may be other things that on that day, aren't the priority that you need to work on, you know? Maybe you yeah. just need to listen, you know? And also to be teachable as well. Understand that though you are the therapist, you don't know everything as well. And also to be honest, like be honest, because obviously I'm still a young therapist, so I don't know everything, yeah. you know? So yes, I'll be able to help the patient, but I need to be honest in saying, okay, my expertise in here, let me go consult with someone or let me go, go and then come back and I'll give you an answer and I'll be able to help you, you know? So yeah. yeah, those are other lessons. So, um, you know, you had a, an incredible experience where you went all the way to Asia. Um, <laughs> I, I I am jealous, I will admit. No. <laughs> I have not I have not left the Western Cape, so I'm really jealous. <laughs> well you have food. lockdown to blame for that now. So <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um can you tell us more about, you know, your travels to Asia and what um AWMUN is and why essentially then you were there? Um okay, so Firstly, that's also my uh, one of the top reasons why I actually, you know, decided to be a part of AWNN because like, whew, I get to leave the country for a good cause. Definitely sign me up. Yes. <laughs> so um, AWNN is Asia World Model United Nations and uh, Model United Nations is a simulation of the United Nations. So it's a teaching platform where you get exposed to the operations of the United Nations. So you um, get exposed to and harness your skills of debating, research, critical engagement, teamwork, networking, you know. Um, yeah, so that's what it, it, it aims to do. Um, and it also aims to sensitize you and bring you into a um, closer relationship to like with the world's issues, you know, and also to meet people from different parts of the world. So Asia World Model United Nations was happening in Asia, obviously. Um, and yeah, so they have like a few um, throughout the year. And I attended the, the last one in the year. And um, yeah, so how it actually works is that you, obviously because it's United Nations and we all know that United Nations is made up of member states. So as a participant, you know, the participants of the uh, actual conference are called delegates. So as a delegate, you are assigned a country where that you'll have to debate on behalf of. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the country that you are from. So by doing that, it also helps you to expose you to what's actually happening in other countries. So you, um, yeah, you sign in or become registered as a representative of a member state of the United Nations, and you debate um, on a topic that is or falls in line with one of the world's global issues. Um, so at the end of each debate, um, so you also get divided into councils, so I need to add that. Um, so yeah, the different councils, you have your UNICEF, um, WHO, the UN Development Program, the list goes on. Um, mm -hmm. And then the, so on throughout the three days, it's a three-day conference, and the actual debate happens on the second day. So um, after the days debates in that council 
the all the delegates have to come together and come and draw up a, a draft uh, resolution which is almost like a policy and you get to vote on that so the whole process is kind of just to united nations you know runs and also to actually like help you to think critically about what's actually happening in the world around you so how would you say that it's actually equipped you to 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 be a better occupational therapist mm-hmm. uh well it actually really what, yeah what's actually great about that opportunity um obviously i had the hopes to but i didn't actually think that it actually happened you know so uh obviously as ot's wherever we go we always advocate for not only the profession but also the people that we serve so um it was great an, a great opportunity to be able to um advocate for um people with disabilities you know in in the debate um so i was part of the united nations development program and what we were um debating on was urbanization and how to make um urbanization sustainable but you know it it's always the case that you know when people are moving forward at a fast rate at a focused rate we always leave the people behind that may need a little assistance so um yeah that was just a uh, caution or something that I brought to everybody's attention and awareness that um yes we urbanization is good and it's it's great as opposed for the economy um at the end of the day but in doing that we need the people who are often left behind because firstly they also have valuable skills that they can contribute and we can't forget that we can't forget that um just because you know a person may have a physical or a mental developmental um disability we can't say that they have no skill to contribute mm-hmm. you know so yeah as an occupational therapist as well um it shifted my um perspective of things and also just allowed me as well to yes that i have something to say and this is what i've prepared and what i want to say today but it goes back to what i said at the beginning to be mindful and to listen to what others are saying you know and how is it actually aligning with what i'm saying is it um opposite of what i'm saying and how can we actually you know use what we are both saying in order to um come to a uh, one solution because that's what happens with the draft resolution is that at the beginning we all saying different things and we all have our different points representing our different countries but in the end we'll have to come together with a thing that um is going to serve all these countries and that's what client centeredness is right mm. <laughs> you come with ot and and your own um set of of tools in your toolkit and the client comes and they tell you what their needs are and then you have to sit down and think okay with what i have and what you have how can we work together in order that your life becomes better yes 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 um i'm glad that you touched on you know being inclusive and because we need to take into consideration equity and equality within society definitely and i think the the study that you yeah. or the the research that you posed was was a very good one um for our south african context Oh. So what was your best experience there or what was the strangest um food that you had? Oh, <laughs> the food Kanya you that's the strangest experience the food you hit the nail on the head <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow I think that the Africans we all had a beautiful experience encountering the food there and all just like You know what? Like a proper go would be perfect right mm. now. You know? Yeah. I just want to lose <laughs> just a loose just a little like <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. What I can say is that um Asian people love their rice. Mm. <laughs> they really do love their rice. And they have rice fields everywhere. Everywhere. Like also that was something that really was an eye opener for me. Especially coming from the Eastern Cape where we have so much open land. unused land mm. in asia they use like as much of the land as they able to and you know just the way how they just are so self sustaining 
was was really like something to marvel at for me um and also just how natural they are you know i was i went for a cooking class that was also like the best experience for me and you know just not being not depending on iracha and you know <laughs> and onion like like kuban like no but onion onion is also they have like eight different kinds of bananas mm-hmm. and i'm like how yo it was beautiful it was beautiful so like the food was definitely something you know it is either a hit or a miss it is never in between yeah so that was always tricky like with with meal times came around you're like oh i wonder <laughs> are we going to win or <clears throat> wow wow yeah. but when they did it right they really did it right <laughs> <laughs> So for someone who would love to, you know, have the same experiences um, as you, um, where can they, you know, maybe apply or where, what site can they look up um, AWN? Liking the AWMU page on uh, Facebook, because that's where I found out about it. Um, so, yeah, obviously when you, when you like the page, all the updates are going to, you know, pop up on your timeline. So, um, yeah, so you can either go and like the Facebook page or you can visit the organization's website. It's www.awmun.org. Also, you can like them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you'll see the updates there as well. And, yeah, I think those are the three most um, either easiest and most, yeah, ways that you can um, keep yeah. in touch and updated on um- where- So, Asi, you're also um, the founder of 21 Daughters and Sons of the King. Um, oh. Can you tell us more about that? What is it about um, and what is the aim and or your vision, rather, for this, oh. for this NPO? Mm. So, 21 Daughters and Sons of the King is uh, an NPO that I started in 2017 mainly with the um, intention and focus of offering mentorship and support to young people who would, if they had that support, um, be exposed to a lot more opportunities or would able to amount to more or to be able to do more, you know? Because um, I saw that, especially like from the community that come from like Edinaka, there's so many people that actually have um, potential, but because of, the lack of support and because they aren't um, motivated or demotivated or haven't seen greater being done, then, you know, like you, you don't get the, the challenge to actually to do more, you know? So yeah. that was the idea that it came from was to, you know, provide mentorship, to provide support to um, young people, you know, coming up so that they could actually be leaders within whatever, um, areas of passion whatever they're passionate about to be able to be leaders to be able to um, be change makers and that is the vision the vision is to be or to create um, change makers and leaders that come from Utenek that come from Eastern Cape that come from South Africa because also like we also have the the aim of you know expanding so yes. that that is the aim and our, our root uh, at the core is um to do this by firstly um, rooting the the mentees in the identity in Christ, because I really do believe that what you um, become is um, as a result of your foundation. And again, when you set your foundation on Christ, there is absolutely no way that however high you go, you will not crumble. Yeah, so for it. someone who wants to, you know, be a part of um, the NPO, either be the mentor or be a mentee, um, mm-hmm. how can they be a part of it? Mm-hmm. So they can contact me. <laughs> they can contact me. And then um, there are obviously um, forms that you would have to fill in. And yeah, but after you, whoever wants to be involved with it as a mentor, as a mentee, contacts me, then um, we, we can um, take it from there. But um, mm. what else do you do? I mean, for instance, I'm someone who's looking from the outside and maybe let's yeah. say I want to be a, a mentee. Um, yeah. What is it or what tasks would I need to do? Um, or what is the criteria for me to be a part of um, the NPO? 
So the the tasks that we we do, um, so obviously they, they have to meet with your mentee, uh, whether you're the mentee or the mentor, but you'd have to meet with the, the other person, you know, um, and also work on goals together. Like firstly, as a mentee, as a mentor, what is your goal for, for being involved and what are you aiming to get out of the program? So once you have established the goal, then we will, as the mentee specifically, then we will able to um, pair you with a suitable um, mentor. And once we establish that um, mentorship relationship, then um, so initially like the, the mentorship course is over a period of a year. So you'll be able to journey with that mentee on, uh, throughout the year. Um, so you have individual mental sessions, you have peer mentorship as well, where the mentees will be able to, you know, help each other out because, you know, we, we can't underestimate the power of um, peer, peer mentoring. Um, someone said to me a while ago that um, peer pressure is only bad if you have bad friends. So if you are surrounded by the good co- a good company, then whatever peer pressure would be good because you're going to be pushed in a des- desirable direction. So yeah, that's what we do. Um, and then also we do um, addresses and talks in schools and we um, address issues that are very prominent in societies. So one of them now, which is something that we really have our eyes on, um, is the generational gap between our parents you know so that's things that we we address um and then also just as a mentor like your 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 role is to just be there for the mentee you know provide them with whatever additional support that they may need be there for their um emotional needs you know um support them in in ways that they will yeah require to be supported I think this is such a great initiative. So um, for someone who isn't in Newtoneg or in the Eastern Cape, how can they be a part of it? Let's say there's someone who would like to be a mentor or a mentee. How does mm-hmm. that then work? Mm-hmm. I mean, COVID has shown us a lot. COVID has shown us that, you know, I think anybody who was hesitant to moving to into the digital space was forced to, you know, through COVID. So... Um, we are definitely not limited by space, you know, so um, e- social media has made things um, very easy f- for us. So, and obviously we have um, hopes that e- the lockdown won't last, you know, forever. And at some point in time, we would be able to move around, you know, the country. So, yes, the idea, you know, was birthed out of a need in Newtonic, but it doesn't have to remain there. So whether you are someone who wants to be a mentor or a mentee, but you're not living in Newtonic, then you are still welcome to, to be involved, you know, and then we will use the other platforms made available to us to be able to communicate and to be effective. And there you have it. You are still welcome to be involved. Mm. So regardless of where, where you are, you can still be a part mm. of this great NPO mm. um, also you know there was a, in one of your journals you wrote that um, you know we need to be the solution to the problems yes. that um, society faces um, mm. why do you believe that we as the you know the youth and just the people of um, South, South Africa should be um, solving our, our own mm. issues mm. well firstly because we live here so so <laughs> So whether we cause the problems or, you know, we will be left with a problem, you know. So merely based on that, because we live here and we inherit whatever problems or great things come from where we are, you know, like we'll have to deal with that. So we, we, yeah, for that, because we live here. And then um, also secondly, because we can't run away from, the reality that some of these problems are here because of us. Some of these problems, we are encountering them because we are the causes of these problems, you know? So there needs to be a level of responsibility when it comes to that, you know, to be responsible and say, okay, this problem, yes, it may have existed way before me, 
but this is how I contributed towards the problem. And therefore, to prevent future generations from encountering this problem, this is what I'm going to do. So there needs to be a level of responsibility and accountability as people, you know, and not just be like, oh, I'm not going to do anything about it. You know, yeah. no, you can't, you can't be those people. Your Instagram page, as well as your, your blog posts and YouTube channel, um, what inspires the content that you do write about? Um, <laughs> the, my experiences. <laughs> um, so obviously, well, with the, the, the blog posts, um, what I write on there is things that just, just like lessons that I've, I've been thinking about for a while, you know? So yeah, it's, it's just like conversations that I've had with myself. And then I'm like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. a second person would like to be a part of this conversation. So I put that on the blog post, you know, um, with the YouTube, how I choose content is things that I really think that would be helpful for the next person. So, um, cause, cause the reason why I started the YouTube channel in the first place was because while I was studying, I always was looking for, um, an OT and South African OT, you know, who would either talk about the things that I was learning, um, in class or just, just, you know, sometimes you, you're studying for anatomy and you want to take a break, but you want to make it feel like it's a, a fruit. It's an active break. It's a fruitful break, you know? So you, you still look at something that's educational and I wasn't finding any of that for South Africa. So I mean, yes, there were other yeah. Americans like lovely OT who I love and follow, um, but I wasn't finding any of that for me, you know. So I thought, okay, so it would be good to start this for other um, OTs as well, but also to allow, you know, potential clients and just like allow lay people to know what occupational therapy is, the type of work that you do, and where you can go to get you know ot assistance so that's what inspires the content with the ot i mean with the youtube channel is things that i <laughs> things that i think would be um educational for people who don't know anything about ot you know? um and then with the the instagram the instagram is basically an overflow of things that I post on the channel, but just like in smaller bites. Using all social media platforms to to advocate for occupational therapy, because I think that's something that we really need in the South African context at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing that, you know, occupational therapy is still a growing profession mm-hmm. um, and people really need to know about it. Um, and I, I like Definitely. that you've taken this approach of using all these social media platforms um, mm-hmm. to to advocate for OT hopefully you know ultimately actually by increasing the demand of um ot that yeah. we can get paid more i just want OT to get paid more guys. <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> no but really that's this one but it's about like because because there really mm-hmm. is a huge demand for ot you know but because people don't know what it is then they don't know that they need mm-hmm. the help or how mm-hmm. they can get it or it's not accessible to them, you know? Especially now, like, we, we're in a pandemic. Everybody is, you know, we, yo, yeah. we, we are all mm-hmm. fragile, you know? People's mental health especially is very compromised. And, you know, sometimes you, you think that, like, oh, like, let me just move on. I'll be fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Or you think that, mm-hmm. you know, that you're feeling like this alone, you know, but also just by making the, the profession, you know, known, then also it, it also just helps to put like less stress on a person and like just this destigmatize the, yeah. well, mm-hmm. the stigma. A lot of 
what is mm-hmm. trending at the moment is you know physical health everyone is trying to you know be fit but why is it important for us to also be mentally yeah. fit and to take care of our mental health mm. um there's a scripture um well it's a scripture but you know many people know it as a quote as well um but it says it's a proverb that says that as a man thinketh in his mind, so is he. Né? So it's very important for us to take care of our mental health because what is happening, you know, in our mind informs what's happening in our bodies and also what happens around us. Né? So yeah, the, the level at which we will be able to function all comes down to how well we are doing in our mind. So it's very important to be able to take care of your mind, make sure that your mind is in a healthy state, that you are able to take care of the rest of yourself and also to engage effectively in the demands of your day and in the rest of the the occupations that Um, you you need to engage in. I saw a post on social media where someone had said, um, you know, you know, these post that trend on social media where someone had um um you know i've got depression but i can't say that to my parents because um or if they they ask me to go wash the dishes yeah um, they'll say yo i um we won't ask you to go wash the dishes because most you're the one that's living Mm. with depression or you're going to want to try and commit suicide so how do we like address our Mm. parents and educate our our parents um, and I want to speak specifically to black parents um, and put the spotlight on them because you know we find that they don't understand yeah not all of them but most of them don't understand um, what mental mm. health is and you know how it affects mm. you because usually it's yeah. said to be you know a white people thing quote unquote so how do we address the issue mm. of black parents mm. not understanding mm. mental health I think a huge part of it also I think we also need to as much as, you know, we as their children um, may be struggling with mental health and, and don't know how to have a conversation with our parents, they may also be having their mental challenges and they, because they can't articulate it, don't know how to deal with it, you know? So they deal with us the way that they've been dealt with or the way that they are dealing with things, you know? So I think um, that's the, the first thing that we you know need to understand and sometimes you're always like no it's so unfair mm-hmm. and like why must I always be the one who has to understand them they must understand me and and yes that that is true you know that is true mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know the process has to start somewhere you know so I think also another huge part of it is language you know like the the language that we use because also uh, what what is yeah. depression gets tosser? Mm-hmm. What is schizophrenia gets tosser? Ndoni gets tosser. You know, so I think that's a, a huge element of that as well. Because even if you know you maybe say it's not even about you. You're watching a show, and it's about you know someone who's having who's struggling with with mental health, and you know like your parent can understand because they've got no frame. Mm-hmm of reference to associate that with you know so i think also the the language it starts with how we define these things i'm also struggling to define you know different um mental health terms especially in gets closer you know but also to that's like i think that's a a huge because also language language plays a huge part in how our identity how we conceptualize and how we understand things you know so um also like when when you come you know to to your parents like don't Mm -hmm. come with terms that your psychologist gave you you know come with with um, analogies and with illustrations that you know are familiar to them that they may also be able to understand it not only for you but maybe they're struggling with the same thing, but all this time they, they don't know how to deal with it. Just like, look, I've got a job. I must just keep it moving. You know, we're social beings um, and, you know, with mental health um, and all of that happening, mm. when would you say is the appropriate time for you to tell your romantic partner that, you know, that you are living with a, a, a mental health issue? Is it on the first date or is it, once you guys decide that you're serious or is it maybe three years mm. later? 
<laughs> okay, I think she was saying this a bit late. Just by the way, late. <laughs> I was actually looking through Instagram the other day, and um, I'm not gonna mention her, but the, the, this huge influencer, she was, you know, it was an appreciation post for her partner, and she was talking about how her partner introduced mm-hmm. her to her psychologist, to his psychologist. I was like, whoa. Guys, is that a thing people do? Is that like, wow, I think that's like a huge step, you know, to take in a relationship. And yeah, um, I don't actually know when the right time is. But I think also like in general, there's no set timeline or formula to to these things, you know. Um Obviously, as the person, you will be able to, or hopefully you'll be able to use um, your discretion and your discernment to tell, like to know and to inform you when the right time is for you to be able to disclose to this person, you know? Um, Yeah, so I think maybe like on the first date, you know, because you know in the first date, you want to be able to establish that, okay, like, you know, what kind of, you know, like the values of the person, you know, I think that's what, what the, the first date is most for. It's like to check for chemistry and also like values. So maybe, you know, on the first date, also depending on who you are and how forthcoming you are and also how, you know, receptive the other person seems to be, you, you can just, you know, just like ask the question. So like, um, have you been in a relationship before with someone who, was living with a mental illness mm-hmm. um and if you have how did you cope with that you know like how how do you work with that you know um and if they haven't like okay so what would you do if you were in a situation like that you know and then mm-hmm. yeah, if it comes up you know then it's it's natural just like keep the conversation going yeah. i'm all about you know like keeping things organic <laughs> so yeah so I, I really think like however long cannot i think like once you guys are in a year yeah it's either they should have known by then or you should have told them by then you know um but i think once especially like once you guys start being in a committed relationship and then you sit it like you know you both know and both have agreed that it came in a relationship now then i think it's like we should be able to open up and, and tell the person that um so because yeah. I, I asked this actually on the Adventures of OT um, Instagram page. And I also then questioned, is um, the, you know, the audience, is it a, do, do we consider the person a bad person if they then decide to leave once you disclose to them that, you know, um, you know maybe I've mm. been diagnosed with X, Y, and Z. Um, is that person mm. a bad person because they've chosen to say, you know what, I'm... I'm not ready for this, so I'm going to, you know, take mm. a rain check. I don't think it makes them a bad person. Um, because, you know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Because also there are different things, you know. First of all, the different things that people are looking for in, in a relationship, you know, it could be also previous experiences that um, may influence a person's um, decision to either stay or to leave a relationship. Maybe they will leave because they aren't even fully aware of um, the, the, the severity of or what the actual um, illness may actually mm-hmm. entail, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think... We, we can't just like say like every single person who leaves a person with um, a mental illness is like a bad person. And also there may be other factors that would be involved as well. Maybe that's not the determining factor, yeah, you know? Certainly. I, I also mm. agree with you on that one that, you know, we all need to know what we can handle. Um, and, you know, I was watching Definitely. a YouTube um, channel or a couple where the, the wife is living with HIV and the, the, the husband is, is not, doesn't mm. have like, HIV. Um, and, you know, when she had disclosed mm. her status to him, he said, you know, in that moment, he knew that he, this, the, that is something that he can handle. So even when the wife 
disclose that you know this mm. is my status he he was in a mental state mm. where he knew where he was standing and he knew that he wanted to marry her so regardless of whatever she came with mm. or what situation um she was she Definitely. was coming from it was something where he had already told himself you know i'm willing to accept this person regardless of whatever else um you know they they come with mm. Mm. yeah it's honesty man it's honest being honest as the person you know with whatever diagnosis and also the person on the other end to be honest with yourself but like will i be able to you know manage you know and also being being honest to say like okay i don't think i'll be able to handle that or okay i will be able to to handle that you know so yeah i think it it all just comes down to honesty yep honesty yeah. so uh we reached <laughs> the end of the show <laughs> but i do have a last question <laughs> for you where um i would like you to mm. complete the sentence um so the first mm-hmm. one is I have learned that rejection is redirection. Redirection to mm. to mm. something else. Um yeah. Like it's it's not that deep. It's not <laughs> personal. <laughs> like it's it's not personal, man. <laughs> like really. Imagine if every single thing that you wanted you got like where is the character building in that no but you know we we, mm. we do live in a society where we, we we are always accepted i mean by our friends our parents and then when you go out to get try and get that first job and they they reject you then you're like oh my word um i'm a mm. failure you know i'm not good enough so i think mm. it, it's true what you're saying that you know it builds character and it's redirection mm. to 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 be mm. better i suppose and then number two mm. is every morning yeah. I wake up and face the day with. Let's do this. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say throughout this podcast. So I'm glad you brought some bye-bye in there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Sometimes it takes me two hours to get there, but eventually I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, let's do it. <laughs> And then the third one is, I feel mm. most alive when? Mm. I'm writing. So is that personal writing, like Definitely. journaling or writing poetry or? Mm. When I'm blogging. Oh, yes. I love it. I love it. I love it because I, I, I love thinking. I love that we have, you know, that, that ability. So when... I'm I'm thinking and just like putting ideas together and just like unpacking things and saying like how this is how links to that and oh man it's beautiful yeah I love it. certainly and then the final one is um, I am I am I'm a child of God I'm strong I am black I am beautiful I am as a simple Tota and I'm a queen yes <laughs> and she is certainly a queen darling <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, Asisipa, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast mm. oh wow thank you this is this is so great it felt so short <laughs> now let's do it again I'll call you again tomorrow <laughs> and then we'll do it again <laughs> yay <laughs> waiting <laughs> thank you thank you so much um for being a part of the show um so where can people you know get a hold of you and and you know feel the energy that i'm currently feeling right now well they can mm-hmm. subscribe to my channel uh it's doing being becoming on youtube they can follow me on instagram it's at asi tota so a-s-i-t-s-o-t-s-a and yeah follow me on twitter as well if you want asitota and follow yes follow my blog also doing being becoming yes and yeah let's let's stay in touch guys stay in touch yep do follow her on her social media platforms it's doing being becoming on youtube her blog as well as her instagram page 
doing being becoming and there you have it from today's show i really hope that you guys enjoyed it it is so pleasing to know that there are so many young south africans who are still seeking to make this country a better place thank you asisipo so do head on over to our social media pages and engage with us what stood out for you in this particular episode so head on over to our instagram page at the adventures of ot or onto our facebook page at the adventures of ot we are really looking forward to your engagement <laughs>